Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is time once again to go into Pittsburgh Steelers yesteryear and go to a game that was great, that we love to talk about, but we might have not thought about in a long, long time. Hi, friends. My name is Brian Anthony Davis from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. With me is the one and only Tone Deaf, Tony Defio. What is up, TD? I am fantastic. I can't wait to get into this game. This is one of my favorite periods ever as a Steelers fan. How are you? I am groovy, my man. So we are going back in time to a time that I know well. It was right after college. I was in the workforce. I was infatuated with a certain movie. And this was number one at the box office. It came out a couple days before Christmas. And I saw it. It was about a man named Harry Dunn and his buddy, Lloyd Christmas. It's Dumb and Dumber. And that was number one. That's what everybody was talking about. Man, that was a movie, Tony. Yeah, that was a good one. I just started laughing at the name Lloyd Christmas. I forgot about that. <laughs> Tim Carey, he had a, quite a run there in the mid-90s. How about another shrimp on the Bobby? <laughs> oh, that guy always makes me laugh. On Bended Knee by Boys to Men, they were number one on the radio. It seemed like everything that these soulful four lads from Philadelphia would put out would go straight to the top. This was no exception. Tony... I know you like to swoon to boys to men with the ladies. I do. So this is also a very special time in Pittsburgh Steelers history where they were not only back in the playoffs, but they were the top seed in the playoffs at that time. They were looking like a legitimate threat to go to the Super Bowl and win the Lombardi. And they were in the playoffs. And isn't it great to be in the playoffs playing for the first time ever your longtime rivals? They were only 130 miles apart. They would gather together to move forward to see who goes to the AFC championship game. It was the Cleveland Browns and it was the Pittsburgh Steelers. And there was a very special man, a special enemy in Pittsburgh Steelers future that was the head coach for the Cleveland Browns, can you give me that man's name, Tony Defio? Yes, I can. It was baby Bill Belichick. This is back when he was in his uh, formative years. He was coming into his own as a head coach. Both teams, Tony, they were there because of their defenses. The Steelers featuring Rod Woodson, all-world Rod Woodson, Greg Lloyd, and Kevin Green. They were the leaders of the number one ranked defense in the National Football League. While the Browns, well, they had two Super Bowl champions on their team and a great coach that we know. But Pepper Johnson and Carl Banks, two former New York Giants who were very familiar with the Belichickian way by winning rings with Bill Belichick as an assistant coach there. Well, they were leading the charge for the team that allowed the least points in the National Football League. It was Bill Cower versus Bill Belichick at Three Rivers Stadium with a trip to the Final Four on the line. Man, I remember I had to work that morning, and I was so excited, and I rushed home to see this game. It was a snowy day in Johnstown, and I could not wait to sit there with my dad and watch this game, Tony. It felt to me like the first huge playoff matchup as far as like just the Steelers being a legit Super Bowl contender. And all those years that I watched them since Super Bowl 14, this really felt like like a, like the two best teams in the NFL going at it. I mean, I, other than the 49ers, of course, I mean, the, the two best teams in the AFC, I should say, built up to this game with nothing 
like I had ever seen uh, at that point in my life. The Browns, well, they had struggled against Pittsburgh in 1994, going 0-2. In fact, the visitors were 0 for their last five at Three Rivers Stadium at the time. Gary Anderson's opening kickoff to Eric Metcalf was returned to the Steelers 29, and he was stopped by Yancey Thigpen, who was still playing special teams at the time, as well as being a valuable wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Eric Metcalf, well, he did return that to the Steelers' 29-yard line, and Vinny Testaverde set up shop there. Yeah, a lot of people forget. One Vincent Testaverde was there once again. And there's a lot of Penn State fans that are Steeler fans, and they remember the evil Vinny coming off the bus, all camos with the rest of his Miami team, and thwarting them on January 2nd of 1987. I always think about Vinny as being a part of the Miami Hurricanes. Never really had a problem with him in the league, but he was still the bad guy in my mind. And so he was hoping to do better than his six picks against the Pittsburgh Steelers all season long. A lot of people forget how, how talented Vinny was. Number one overall pick, right? Is that, am I remembering that? Yes. Heisman Trophy winner. So, yeah, I mean, he was a, he was a talented guy. And a friend of mine, uh, he sat next to him at Super Bowl 43, and he said he was the nicest guy in the world. So he ruined that facade right there. But, yeah, uh, Vinny was uh, looking to, to take the Browns uh, where they never had gone before. So let's do this. On second down, the veteran Ernest Biner. Man, this team had so many veterans. He ran for nine and three quarters before Greg Lloyd made the stop. Despite Orlando Brown's false start, Cleveland moved the chains. Approaching midfield, Derek Alexander made a great move to bait Dion Figures, but he dropped the ball. Deja vu on third down as he dropped the ball again. Alexander from Michigan, he was a shorthanded guy, but not on this day. And out comes Tom Tupa. He came into the ball game to punt the ball away. And here's something funny, Tony. We're talking about Tom Tupa as the punter in this game, 1994 season. Interesting thing about Tom Tupa, Tony, we are doing another game in a few weeks. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Pittsburgh Steelers on Christmas Eve in 1989. And Tom Tupa was the punter then. Like a lot of these players, we're seeing him in different games. It's pretty funny. Starting out at the 14, Dermonte Dawson's false start set the black and gold back for five yards. On a pickup of eight by John Williams and then 18-yard catch and run by Ernie Mills, the Steelers were able to advance the ball to the 38-yard line. Then Foster kept moving the chains with 24 yards on four carries. The Steelers kept it going after passing midfield with O'Donnell escaping a sack by tossing the ball to Yancey Thigpen. A completion to Eric Green, five yards by Bam Morris, and a completion to my man, John L. Williams, got the Steelers as far as the 22, John L.'s jersey number, before the drive halted. Out comes an old favorite, Gary Anderson, for a 39-yarder to put the Steelers on the board by the score of 3-0 after a 7-minute and 20-second drive. That's a big deal, Tony. The Steelers get the ball second after stopping the Browns right away, and then they take a lot of time off the clock, even though they only got three. That's still an advantage. That is really expressing sheer will. 
you're absolutely right. And as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, these are two great defensive teams. So the Steelers, you, you know, points were at a premium. So to, to take time, that much time off the clock and uh, get points out of it, that was, that was huge in front of the home crowd. The Steelers shut down Biner and Testaverde for a three and out the next time around with Kevin Green's disruptions. After a 26-yard Tupa shank, the Steelers started at near midfield at their own 49-yard line. Two foster runs would move the chains, and then a wide-open Ernie Mills would haul in an O'Donnell offering for a 21-yard gain to get the black and gold down to the 20. Mills would absorb a huge cracking at the hands of Don Griffin, but would bounce right back up. That's when these teams play each other, you can give them a licking, but they don't want to stay on the ground too long just to let you know that, hey, you can't hurt me. And that's what Ernie Mills seemed to do here, Tony. He sure did. And he was a very tough receiver and he made a lot of uh, important catches for them during this time period. And, and yeah, he, for him to take that hit and hold on to the ball, advance the ball, that was, uh, that was big. You know what? I cannot remember whether he held on to the football. I believe he did for a reception against the Dallas Cowboys in Super Bowl 30 when he was injured. Yes. And, you know, they, he got walloped on that play. And it was a shame because I think that was the play that cost them the Super Bowl. Because if Ernie Mills is in there, Corey Holiday is not running the wrong route. And they have a chance to win that game, Tony. Ernie Mills gets a ring. You know, maybe he's remembered a lot more fondly in Pittsburgh. But he was really a good receiver for them uh, during Cowher's early years. One of my favorites, I will never forget him. He was drafted the same draft uh, right after they drafted another wide receiver from Ohio State. It was Jeff Graham, and then he came out of Florida in round three. That was also the year they took a guy number one for the Steelers out of Florida by the name of Huey <laughs> Richardson, and that didn't work out as well. Let's get back into this game, though. Barry Foster's four straight carries would net 18 yards and set up a score as Eric Green hauled in a third and two pass for the score. With 14-10 left in the second, the Steelers led 10 to nothing. The terrible towels were a twirling. And I got to tell you, Tony, it really felt like that crowd was a 12th man. And the Browns seemed demoralized right away. They did. I mean, the Steelers got on, uh, up on them really quickly. And, and as you mentioned, they were, the fans were into it. And, and I noticed that watching this game again, how loud that place was. I forgot, I forget how loud Three River Stadium really was, but this is a great, a great throw by O'Donnell. It, it was a bullet. And I think people forget, you know, he's not known for his arm, but he, he displayed uh, a, a great arm strength on this play. On the ensuing series, Biner would get a first down, but Testaverde's receivers would continue to drop pass after pass at an alarming rate. Tupa came on again, but only offered up a punt of 34 yards. It's amazing he stayed in the league this long with those short of punts. The Steelers would then start moving the ball again with runs by Foster of 9, 3, and 28. Foster was approaching 100 yards, rushing behind great blocking by guys like Leon Searcy and John Jackson. After Bam Morris tacked on eight yards on two carries with a third and two on the Cleveland 26, the Steelers kept the ball on the ground, but not with Bam or Barry, but that man again, John L. Williams, 26 yard dash up the middle. 
it gave the Steel City a 17 to nothing lead with 903 left. We did a game a couple weeks ago with John L and he had a huge game against the Colts from 1994, just maybe about three weeks back on the retro show, Tony. We sure did. And what a great uh, free agent pickup this guy was. And this, this touchdown resulted in one of my all time favorite reactions from myself. When, when John L scored that touchdown, I remember just diving on my grandmother's, I don't know if you enjoyed this diving on her couch <laughs> and just like in disbelief that they were dominating the, the Browns the, the way they were, because all week long, all I heard from all the national experts and even the local uh, people was like, you can't beat a team three times in one, one year. And the, fa- the way that they got up on them early, but to me, was just, I was in disbelief. Would the Steelers beat a same team three times in one year? Well, you got to tune into the second half of the Steelers retro show to find that out with Tony Defio, myself, Brian Anthony Davis from behind the steel curtain.com. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Steelers Retro Show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. The other voice you hear is the legendary BTSC that's behind the Steel Curtain Hall of Famer, one Anthony Julius Defio. You could call him Tone Deaf. You can call him TD. Just don't call him late for the buffet. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly Don't call me late for, for, for dinner, as my teacher used to say when I was uh, in school. But yeah, uh, this, is, this has been so much fun what, uh, talking about this game so far, that first half. Of the, of the show was was fantastic and the Steelers were th- are, up to this point have been thoroughly dominating the Browns the Browns would get a nice return by Randy Baldwin for 37 yards but Cleveland would waste the opportunity when Testa Verde would throw deep into double coverage to Mark Carrier Darren Perry number 39 who had three picks of Testa Verde in 1994 <laughs> got another and it was huge by hauling in the football near the end zone one, that stops a threat. Two, that shows that, hey, you can't score at us in Three Rivers Stadium. The Steelers would go looking for more, starting out in their own two-yard line. But a three and out resulted in great field position when Mark Carrier would field Mark Royal's punt at the 50 and benefiting from a block by Metcalf, returned the ball all the way to the Pittsburgh 30. Man, Metcalf used to beat up the Steelers a lot with his return ability. This time, man, he was making them pay by blocking Tony. Yeah, this is really a, a great block at the point of attack. And, and right after uh, Carrier uh, caught the punt, and if you remember Metcalf a year earlier, he beat the Steelers at, in Cleveland with two punt returns in the same game. He was a remarkable player, and, and, and he uh, wore a different hat on his play with that block. Hey, versatility wins football games. Vinny would complete throws to Leroy Horde and Michael Jackson. Sorry, how to do that. Followed by runs by Biner to set up third and five at the Pittsburgh nine. Then Carrier would be pulled down inches short of the sticks by Roderick Woodson. In a peculiar move by Belichick, the Browns made the decision to kick a 22-yard field goal instead of trying to go for the first down and the touchdown with 237 left in the half the Steelers still led 17 to 3 mistake by Belichick Tony did he outthink himself I was shocked I mean obviously I, I, I realized how this game transpired overall but I was shocked at, at this moment in the game he decided to go uh, to kick a field goal on fourth and inches 
deep in, in Pittsburgh territory. Worst thing that, that happens, Pittsburgh gets the ball back at the five-yard line or four-yard line, whatever. Field goal here, to me, it tells me that you, you, don't, you don't have confidence in your line to gain a few inches. To me, I, I think he should have went for it. Man, because if you get a touchdown there, it's 17-7. to 7. This is a different game going into the half, especially that close to the half. So really shocked, especially with knowing what we know about the guts of Bill Belichick right. and not being afraid to do whatever he feels like, even if it's deep in his own end. I mean, we've seen him go for it around the 30-yard line. This wasn't a playoff game either, you know, just midseason. He just does stuff like that. So maybe he learned from it. We'll never know. Neil O'Donnell and the Steelers would not squander the time remaining, which was huge. Following Charles Johnson's short return to the 21, Bam Morris rumbled for the slowest 17-yard gain <laughs> yeah. ever seen to get to the 38-yard line and the two-minute warning. Man, it looked like he was in slow motion, but it didn't matter because the rookie was a punisher, Tony. He was. He was an exciting young running back, and he showed great promise. And on this, on this run, it looked like the Browns defense wanted no part of him. After the break, O'Donnell immediately went for the home run to Ernie Mills for a 47-yard connection. Mills beat Robert Griffin, not Robert Griffin III, <laughs> but <laughs> another Robert Griffin, no relation on the play. But Griffin, and hey, Robert Griffin III was a future Brown. How about That's that? Right. That's right. Things you don't think about. <laughs> <laughs> but Griffin was able to knock the ball out of number 89's grasp and Eric Turner would recover and return the ball to the Cleveland 21. But Tim McKire would get it right back for the black and gold, and he was a big part of this. Vinny in the face of a blitz by Ray Seals and Brenson Buckner, well, they he would float a ball that the veteran of two Super Bowl championship teams in San Francisco would easily intercept and return for 21 yards to the Cleveland Six. After two plays, including a run that lost yards, O'Donnell found a noted Browns antagonist on a third and goal from the nine for a 24-3 lead with seconds left in the half. To celebrate that antagonist, one Yancey Thigpen, he pulled a terrible towel out of his pants and swung it high above his head in jubilation. So we talk about T.O. for taking a Sharpie out of his sock. Man, Yancey took a Myron original out of his draws, Tony. Yeah, what a way to, to endear yourself to the crowd. I mean, my goodness. This reminded me of, of all those times watching NFL films growing up, watching Lynn Swan and John Starworth pull out the towel and wave it, you know, in those playoff games against the Oilers and the Broncos at Three Rivers. So this, this was my favorite uh, moment from that game was watching him pull that towel out and, uh, and, and wave it in the end zone after that. And what a big touchdown this was right before the half. I mean, you take a 21 point lead over your arch rivals. That was huge. Especially in the playoffs, the Browns would desperately try to get down the field, but great defense by Dion figures and a huge hit by Myron bell dashed those dreams again. To start the third quarter, the Steelers relied heavily on Barry Foster on the ground and a 15-yard pass to Ernie Mills. But the Steelers, well, they couldn't get past the 46 of Cleveland. And the mustachioed Mark Royals came on with a 31-yard punt. What is it with those guys named Mark in Pittsburgh with mustaches, Tony? I don't know, but it certainly worked for him on this day. <laughs> 
So the Browns started out from their own 27, desperately needing to score. It looked like they would be able to move the ball as Testa Verde immediately found Keenan McCardell for 21 yards. However, the Steelers' defense, well, they clamped down again and Tupa punted the ball away again. Taking over at their own six, number 14, and company, well, they were greedy for more and you can't blame them. They're playing a division rival. Passes to Eric Green, Andre Hastings, and runs, including one for 11 by Foster, got the home team down to the Cleveland 22. Then Gary Anderson ran onto the field, and he nailed a 40-yard field goal for a 27-3 lead with 235 remaining in the third. You know, we have that rule. You don't celebrate until there's zeros on the clock. But the way it felt on that day there's a lot of celebrating going on. It was still cautious, but a lot of celebrating, Tony. Yeah, it, it sure was. And, and it felt insurmountable, honestly, at this point. I mean, they, it seemed like the Steelers always had the football. I mean, they dominated on the ground. They dominated in, in time of possession. And to take a 27-3 lead, uh, even though the two-point conversion was a, a thing by this point, to take a 27-3 lead late in the third quarter, it felt like the Browns at this point had no chance. The Browns found themselves in desperation mode because of that, Tony, at this point. Testaverde started out fast with a 24-yarder to Jackson to near midfield. Oh, I'm sorry, Michael Jackson. Hee-hee. <laughs> now we're ripping off Berman stuff. I That's love right. it. Uh, <laughs> I was doing that the whole game when I was watching it. I couldn't stop doing it. He was a big dude. Yeah. He, yeah. Was he like 6'4"? Yeah, he was huge. I forgot all about him. Belichick's Browns were faced with a fourth and 10 at the Steelers 49 after stellar plays by Chad Brown, nearly picking off Testaverde and Rod Woodson as a run defender. As great as he was against the pass, man, he wasn't letting you get it anywhere on the ground as well. The Browns would extend the drive after the dangerous decision to go for it when Biner took a deflection from Vinny Testaverde 14 yards to move the chains. Tempers then flared as they do in Brown Steelers games after the play and Greg Lloyd and Tony Jones. Well, they got into it. The frustrated Browns were throwing shots, starting with Biner on John Jackson on the sidelines and Jones against rookie Jason Gildon for who Lloyd was defending. Errant shoves were all Cleveland could really muster offensively, though. Facing a fourth and four, the Browns could not convert this time. As Vinny dropped back, it was disrupted again by Kevin Green, and he had to throw the ball away. Not Kevin Green, but Vinny with that long-haired blonde man in his face. <laughs> now in the fourth quarter, the home team had the ball back with a commanding lead. The Steelers would move the chains on an O'Donnell pass to Hastings. Number 88 did fumble the ball, though but an alert Ernie Mills recovered it. The drive would stall though, and Mark Royals was called upon to punt. The Browns suffered a three and out, however, when Chad Brown nailed Metcalf for a one-yard loss on third and four. The Steelers could not do much behind Bam Morris runs, and then they had to punt again. Tony, they were leading, but was this something concerning you that the Steelers weren't pouring it on more in this game? No, because the defense was so dominant at this point. The running game, the Steelers' running game was so effective that it, it was just a matter of, of just running time off the clock and, and, and making sure the, the Browns didn't have any scores. Aided by a pass interference call on figures for 35 yards, 
and a 13-yard gain on a swing by Metcalf. Testaverde found Keenan McCardell in the end zone for a 20-yard score. But the two-point conversion failed when McCardell bobbled the ball out of the back of the end zone. The Browns fervently argued, but to no avail. With 5.53 left, the score was 27-9. to When Eric Green recovered the failed onside kick, the Steelers took over with Mike Tomzak in for O'Donnell, not taking any chances there whatsoever. But the Steelers went three and out, followed by a 27-yard Royals punt. Starting out from their own 31, Tony, Vinny connected with Jackson. Hee-hee. <laughs> but McCardell, <laughs> I love it, left his feet to levy a cheap shot on Chad Brown. The Browns were unraveling completely at this point. Yeah, it, it was bad. It would get worse when Buckner and Green got the first Steeler sack of the game, and then the second by Green and Lake ended with a safety and two points. I forgot all about that safety, Tony, but with only 2.45 left, the Steelers led 29-9. to It was over. That defense dominated, Tony. At this point, it was turn out the lights, the party was over. Three times in one year, you're, you're, you, beat, you beat up your, your division rival. Steelers did get the ball back on the free kick, and the Steelers kept the ball on the ground as more fighting occurred. It didn't matter. The Steelers were on their way to the AFC Championship game, where their season ended a week later. The Browns, in turn, were on their way home for a long winter's rest, and 1995 ended up to be the most tumultuous season in Brown's history as they found out that they were going to Baltimore. So a crazy year came after this, but it was a great 1994 for the Cleveland Browns, but not when it came to playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, Tony and the Steelers were on their way to hopefully a Super Bowl, but we know that did not happen. No, it didn't. Browns, I, I guess they kind of felt like the Oilers must have felt in the late seventies when they were maybe the second best team in the AFC that year, but they just couldn't win a division. They had to come to Pittsburgh and, and it just didn't work out for them. But what I remember most about this game is going for a walk afterwards and, and watching there were these kids. I mean, I, I call them kids, but they were probably older than I was. I was 22 at the time, but um, these kids were out waving the terrible towel at, at oncoming traffic, you know, like passing traffic. And I was like, wow, this is, must've been what the seventies felt like to me. It was the first real time that like that seventies magic was, you know, felt like it was back to me. And I just, in my heart of hearts, I believe they were on their way to the Super Bowl. That's how good I thought they were that year. The fans had it and the players had it too. The Browns did not have it. The Browns only had 186 total yards in this game, while the Steelers had 424 with 238 on the ground. That was a lot like the 70s as well. Foster, 24 carries, 133 yards. Bam Morris, 22 for 60. John L. Williams, 2 for 43. Ernie Mills had 117 yards receiving on five balls as O'Donnell went 16 for 23 with 186 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Not sparkling numbers, but you don't need it. You don't need sparkling numbers as a quarterback when you have those runners running the ball. So this seemed like a 70s team as well with those dominant running games, Tony. It sure did. And I made note of it one point. Late in the first half, the Steelers had 160 yards on the ground. I mean, you do that today and fans are throwing a parade for an entire game. 
to do that in the first half, you talk about establishing dominance over your opponent in a playoff game. Perfect definition of it. It absolutely was, Tony. Once again, this was a fantastic game to watch. I really enjoyed it. I knew going in that they were going to dominate, and it just felt good to watch again, especially against Bill Belichick. It also made me happy because one of my least favorite coaches of all time was the defensive coordinator. Now, not only is he my least favorite, it's because of something that happened when I was working in Enterprise Rent-A-Car, and he screwed me over on a rent-a-car in 2004. But this guy is one of the greatest coaches of all time. It is amazing to think that Bill Belichick and Nick Saban were on the sideline at the same time, and the Steelers smashed them. Yeah, I was, didn't even realize that. I'm, I'm sure I realized it at the time, but Nick Saban was your coordinator. Talk about two future legends on the same sideline. And of course, you had Bill Cowher on the other side. And I guess don't do business with Nick Saban, I guess. Wow, I can't believe he did that to you. Ah, what a jerk. But anyways, <laughs> uh, he was still with LSU. And I was like, that's it. I curse Nick Saban. I hope he loses. And that weekend, they lost to Auburn. I was like, yes. So (laughs) there you go. I'm sure it bothers him late at night. And when he thinks so, he screwed over Brian Anthony Davis, the manager of Enterprise Rent-A-Car at the time. (laughs) But he knows deep down. I'm waiting for my apology, Mr. Sabin, you wang. With that being said, for Tony Duffio, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. You have just listened to the retro show on BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. It's always fun to go back in time to just have fun with these games and joke and laugh and not be too serious knowing that these games are over and there's nothing we can do about it. So it feels good. But if you want behind the steel curtain for all of your Pittsburgh Steelers needs, everything new, all breaking news, everything that's happening, check us out on the website, on the editorial side, and definitely with all of the podcast, we are going to be having 22 original first run shows every single week in the fall. We have almost that many now. So check it out. It is going to be great listening. It's everything you need if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So you could take us away. We don't mind, but Tony, you better promise us we'll be back in time. <laughs>